1: If you love the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. Share the Real Food Reel with your friends and continue to spread the Real Food Love. In episode 154 of The Real Food Reel, we are joined by Doug Wilson to share his personal health journey from corporate burnout and brain tumor diagnosis to becoming the first person to complete seven competitive marathons on the seven continents in under seven days. This is a fascinating story, team, one that will leave you inspired at the power of health, movement and mindfulness. Hi, Doug, and welcome to The Real Food Reel.
0: Hi, how are you?
1: Very well, thank you. Looking forward to sharing your story with our audience. So I'd love for you to just introduce yourself and give us a bit of context. Tell us a little bit about your story.
0: Uh, Yeah, so in um, 2013, I was living in London, working kind of pretty hectic lifestyle in the investment banking industry. and very caught up in that kind of world and never really taking too much care of myself and, uh, you know, fairly into that kind of lifestyle with heavy drinking and things like that. And ultimately, uh, started to get some symptoms of, um, struggling with my health and that led to being diagnosed with quite a large brain tumor. Uh, that was, that was pretty serious. And, uh, from there I had to rush back from London to Melbourne and have, uh, quite invasive lifesavering operation that took about 13 hours and I was really lucky to survive that and uh, then spent a good month or so in hospital and learning to deal with some new um, neurological conditions conditions and damage uh, which kind of really taught me about the importance of my health and and set me on a new journey And, and from there I had to do things like learn to walk again but ultimately got myself well through a number of different practices and and went on to run, uh, become the first person actually to run seven competitive marathons on the seven continents in under seven days. And uh, that's a bit of an overview about um, one of the accomplishments that I did as part of the changes that I made to my lifestyle.
1: Yeah, very good. And obviously a lot that we're going to break down together today. Um, Huge transformation and I thought we might... um, Start from the top, like you mentioned briefly, um, what you were doing. Um, I know you've been both in New York City and London. Um, tell us more about what your health looked like then, and then I want you to share the story as to um, what happened before you actually got the diagnosis.
0: Okay, yeah, my health was um, usually. I, I always thought that I was relatively healthy. I had mm. I kind of followed the Standard Western approaches to to what we think is healthy, so even though I was like heavy into partying, so like I was really into drinking and kind of like the party lifestyle that came with the investment banking world, so I was always you know having big weekends and um, you know eating like a standard diet um, but on on the same hand, I was also into running and so I was kind of like burning the candle at both ends, mm. and you know I always felt tired and and run down and i um, not really sure how to overcome that so I kind of just like went with it just accepting that that was the normal way of being like to just feel tired and to feel run down and it was when I actually started um, experiencing vertigo so this is when I was in actually in New York at the time and I was walking around the, the busy mid- midtown uh, streets in Manhattan and You know, struggling to cross the road. So anytime I moved my head to check for traffic and just trying to cross the road, I'd I'd feel quite kind of out of place and sort of always feeling a bit sort of unbalanced in space. And then that kind of progressed from there and I started collapsing Um, like when I got out of bed in the mornings, I kind of like get up and feel a bit uneven on my feet and and fall down and kind of lie there thinking, well, this isn't good. And uh, that led me going on to to consulting with doctors. And that was a really uh, quite arduous process in itself. Uh, Obviously, living between London and New York at the time, I never had any continuity with the doctors I saw and kept getting diagnosed with all different kinds of things and uh, from inner ear infections to something called labyrinthitis. But doctors always kind of like turning me away and telling me that there was nothing wrong with me and to just sort of get on with it. And um, then eventually, like, I had some really bad episodes of collapsing and that's what led to ultimately getting uh, an MRI on my brain.
1: Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, I can't imagine the trauma you went through to get that diagnosis. And, you know, this isn't a podcast about modern medicine because it is obviously what ended up saving your life. But I appreciate that I'm sure you have some frustrations about how long it took you to get to the significant diagnosis that you did have.
0: Oh yeah, it was it was really, really terrible to, to go through. It was exactly that. It was a very traumatic experience yeah. but but you know, it, it got done in the end, thankfully.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So obviously in the intro you mentioned a um a thirteen hour surgery. So can you talk more about even if there were like obviously um recommendations or testing prior to that and, and how you got to that um that phase?
0: Yep, so uh, as soon as I got diagnosed in London, I, I, I knew that it was serious, like I knew that I had a brain tumor, that's all I did know actually when I, when I actually got the initial diagnosis and I didn't want to deal with that over there, so I rushed mm-hmm. back to, to Melbourne and then started, I had to go through the process of um, like interviewing surgical teams because it, it took three uh, different types of surgeons to do my operation, one for the neurosurgeon, the Uh, an ENT so an ears nose and throat specialist and a vascular surgeon was all part of like the surgical team and I had to choose who um, I wanted to operate on my brain Um, there was kind of doubts about whether it would be a successful operation or not Mm. and it was kind of along the lines of you know best case scenario there's going to be a lot of neurological damage given the size of the tumor It was 4.5 centimeters so a little bit bigger than a golf ball and in quite a delicate spot around a lot of um, the, the critical uh, cranial nerves. Uh, so there was always an air of hesitation going into it. And I had to have a lot of uh, pre-procedures. I had something like a, a, a cerebral angiogram where they kind of just checked the vascular structure of it to make sure that the tumor hadn't developed some blood supply. So a lot of there was a lot to it before I actually went into surgery. And I went into surgery knowing that it was going to be Pretty grueling. They originally thought the operation was going to take about five or six hours, but it ended up taking, it was actually a little bit over 13, it was about 13 and a half hours. And um, I was actually lucky to survive it and came out and was in intensive care. Uh, so I went straight from theatre to, to the intensive care ward in the neurology, neurology department. And I was in there for about three and a bit days, really fighting for life. It was um, pretty touch and go for a while, but managed to pull through. And and then from there, it was just a a case of really learning how significantly that that surgery had um, damaged me.
1: Yeah, so what were some of the ramifications? Obviously, um, you mentioned it was a very delicate area. So there's, you know, clearly other areas that are impacted, not just the tumour. So what happened and, and how were you after the operation, like after ICU?
0: Uh, so, after I came out of intensive care i was um, I was actually just happy to be alive but mm. uh, it was it's like an ongoing process that unfolded. First, I was realizing that I was permanently deaf in my right ear, so one of the nerves that got removed in the operation was my audio nerve uh, and then I had significant damage to the to the facial nerve, which uh, controls all the muscle movements so This is all on the right-hand side because my tumor. this was on the right-hand side of my body. So I was permanently deaf in my right ear, totally paralyzed on the right side of my my face from the bottom of my neck up, couldn't move it at all. It was completely frozen. And then the hardest part for me to deal with was um, I'd lost the balance nerve as well. So I have no balance functionality on the right-hand side of my body. So I'd ultimately have to learn how to retrain my body with just one balance mechanism, which meant having to learn to walk again. Uh, and on top of that, then I, not, not after the operation, I had to Mm. learn, I I couldn't even sit up. I had to, you know, that was like an ongoing, that was like a process that came after I came out of hospital,
1: Mm.
0: but I also, um, ended up suffering meningitis and, uh, nearly, uh, lost my life to that as well. So I spent the better part of a month in hospital. And ultimately, like, left in a wheelchair, doctors kind of giving me that diagnosis of, you know, you've been through something serious, you're never going to be uh, the same again, you've got to, you know, go through all of these sort of things. But they, they also, with that, they, that was all that really happened from the public healthcare system that kind of, like, saved my life. And I'm really grateful for modern medicine for that reason. But it was kind of like, push, push me out of hospital and you've got all these problems, here's a bunch of pills, now go get on with it.
1: Yeah. Wow. Mm. I mean, I can't, I cannot imagine what that was like for you, but, you know, you've obviously made a really significant health transformation. So what was like, did you have a massive sort of light bulb moment or interaction or how did you then like, I guess, rehabilitate yourself and, and take your health back into your own hands?
0: Well, so I was into marathon running um, before I got sick. So I've been sort of running around the world doing marathons on all the continents and things like this for a few years before I got sick. So in the back of my mind, that was one thing that I definitely like set my sights on getting back to. Um, I think the biggest thing being told that, you know, I'm never going to be the same again, that was something that I just didn't want to hear and didn't want to accept. Mm. So in my head, my goal was to to get back and and to get back to running. And just before I got sick, I was actually training for a run at the North Pole, right. and 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 that was my goal to get to get back better for that. But during all everything that happened to me and, and my life beforehand, I'd always struggled a little bit with like um like underlying things of anxiety and depression and things like this. And while I was in hospital, I was actually diagnosed with um, PTSD and and clinical depression. So when I came out of the operation, I was not only on a lot of medication for dealing with the physical pain that I was going through, but I was also on anti-anxiety medicine and things to deal with um, the PTSD and sort of like depression side of things as well. So I was on like, crazy medication that just knocked me out and I was just like couldn't get off the couch for months just popping these pills and going through all this emotional thing just crying all the time and just like not seeing any way out of it like what you would also sort of describe as the the, like kind of symptoms of clinical depression and I just couldn't see myself ever coming out of it Um, but I just got to the point where I got so low that I realized that it was the pills that, was, that were making me like that and I had, to, I had to get off them. And I've always been quite a scientific person uh, in like what I did for my job. And I, so I started doing research on all those things and looking at um, like natural alternatives to what I could do. And that just started me on that road to looking at things differently and kind of just at least moving me into a new direction. And that's where it started to snowball and that's how I started to improve my health
1: yeah right so were you able to walk by this point in time when you decided you wanted to go back and run a marathon at the north pole
0: yeah my walking had slowly been coming back like it wasn't it wasn't such a case of like somebody trying to rehabilitate himself from like a spinal injury or something like that Mm -hmm. like i could get walking around it was just a case of like the body needed time to learn how to remap itself neurologically um so i could get moving but like if i moved and to, and move my head in a way that was hadn't been done before or wasn't like my body wasn't used to doing it that way i'd mm. stumble and I'd fall so that, it was just like an ongoing process um but it yeah that alone took a good six to twelve months to to really iron out, but it was from the first you know couple of weeks of being out of hospitals on my feet and and getting moving mm. but it was that was definitely an ongoing process. still something I struggle with now um, that I have to I, I do exercises still now to to make sure my balance functions stay um in good shape uh,
1: was your hearing um was that a permanent situation yeah. On the right yeah, yeah. Okay.
0: still totally totally deaf now in the right hand side. face is still uh pretty bad, um but it's got a little bit of movement. that nerve is still there, so there's still a chance that it could slowly still be regenerating, and I've got a bit more movement in the in that side of my face now, so it's not as yeah. bad as it
1: was work in progress though, huh. For sure. Yeah. So I want to hear about um, this incredible achievement that you've gone on to achieve and you're obviously in the Guinness Book of Records. Um, Tell us more about, obviously the first goal was that you wanted to get back and and do that run, that North Pole run that um, you were training for prior to the diagnosis and surgery. But tell us about how you got from there to the seven competitive marathons on the seven continents in under seven days.
0: Yeah, uh, so that was just, it was just the way that things worked out. Sometimes things just have a way of just kind of like happening in a nice sequence, but it, it basically started out once I got back to London. Uh, it, the journey sort of started about six months after surgery, I was, I was back in London, ran my first marathon, like about six months later. And from there, um, things started to, to progress. This is when I got on to sort of changing my diet and taking up yoga and meditation and and using those things to help me get better. But it was actually when I was trying to reorganize my entry into the North Pole Marathon that the, the race director that was um, organizing that was also organizing this new event known as the World Marathon Challenge. And he offered me a spot in it. Uh, and this was an inaugural event and the idea was to run seven marathons on each, on seven continents in, in under seven days and, and run it as a competition. So that had never been done before. And I, at this point, was running again and thought I had about six months to go until that event. I thought, yeah, I'm, I'm fit enough now. I, I can do the work. I'm, I'm going to sign up to this event. And that once I signed up to that event, that's what really spurred me on to really, like, push and make my health as, as, as good as I could make it, and, mm. you know, investing – a lot of money into that event and and knowing that it was would be a big commitment it it really sort of solidified all the work that I'd already been doing and really made me determined to 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 get myself fit enough to to ultimately use that as my benchmark for getting over my illness I thought if I could do that then you know then I was better that was my that was my motivation and my drive behind signing up for that event
1: yeah and what are they what is the definition when they say um the competitive marathons, because obviously there's different ways of, of running and racing. So tell us more so, about that. Mm.
0: So so this is going into so the race director who was organising this, he was the only other person to have ever run a marathon on each continent in under seven days before, and he did that as a solo venture um, in, 2000, right. in 2012. But it had never been done where there's actually like a field of people and people are racing for time. So that was the competitive side of things. So actually having each starting point, like there's a, a minimum criteria to classify an event as a marathon. There's, it's, um, by, there's governing bodies that sort of determine what is a marathon and what's not. And we filled all those criteria for each marathon we did. We had certified courses and all those sort of things. So it was like a legitimate um, way of having an actual competition and race around the world. Mm. That's what made it like, the first to do seven competitive marathons in um, yeah,
1: right. in, that, in
0: that time frame. So it was it was an actual competition. We weren't just kind of just running around taking it easy. We were racing each other.
1: And how many people were in that inaugural event?
0: Uh, we had 10 people doing the full distance marathon and there was two other people doing half marathons.
1: Wow. That's mm. cool. And that was back in 2015?
0: Yeah, that was at the start of 2015.
1: And what does the race look like now a couple of years later? Is it still similar numbers or has it become a lot more popular?
0: No, it's, it's really quite a big thing now. Yeah. So, um, but it's still restricted to how many people you can get on a plane. So they've just when we first did it, we uh, flew business class uh, on all our flights because that meant that if anything went wrong with our flights, we bump other people off other flights. You always get that preference. But what they've actually done now is they charter their own planes, mm-hmm. so they've been able to they've been able to increase the field size to about I think last year when they did it, about fifty odd people, mm-hmm. and it's actually become like super competitive now. Like if, if you have a look at the progressions of the the times, they've come down significantly when we did it we didn't really have any benchmark to, to train to of or anything. Mm. and now each um the year on year it's it's come down quite significantly and the guy who won it last year was absolutely flying i think he averaged something like 245 or 246 which is just insane
1: for a marathon time
0: for seven in a row yeah that, that wow. was exactly yeah oh, it was, my gosh. yeah, it was, <laughs> it was really really impressive so when yeah. we did it we, we were around 340 or something like that so. which is
1: still a bloody good marathon time in my opinion let alone yeah. Living, but yeah i get yeah. it and to it's back again like, so yeah so the four-minute mile mild example isn't it mm. yeah
0: so now you can sort of see that you know people have set their sights on that and it's really and it's just going to be interesting to see where that goes from from now um, will you do it, it again? I I would love to do it again. I I would I've also been thinking about trying to do it as a solo adventure as well and mm-hmm. trying to do it. I, I think I've looked at it and I think it can be done in, in around about four days. So but wow. uh that that'd be like chartering your own planes and, and things like that. And it's definitely something I've got in the back of my mind as a future endeavor. So I would I definitely won't rule it out. Cool. To do it again.
1: Very cool. Very cool. Um I'd love to segue back to your experience with um meditation and yoga, and where that kind of fit into the puzzle or the kind of timeline that we've been discussing and and how you use it to this day
0: okay yeah it's i for me that was that was the biggest that was the biggest change for me and and okay. just and the, and the most beneficial tool i've I've come across in my life today. Uh, it was around the time I actually got back to London and had run that first marathon. So about six months after surgery, And I was sitting at my desk at London, kind of like going over a mental checklist of everything I'd done. And i would kind of like ticked off all the boxes of where I wanted to be back, you know, back in London, back working, running marathons, but something didn't quite feel right. And uh, I just ended up like having had made some changes in my diet, I, you know, uh, and things like that, it kind of was leading me down a bit of a different path than, you know, just being like an investment, like a guy working in an investment bank. And one of those things that sort of kept coming up in, in my frame of rest, reference was like yoga and meditation. And after that marathon, I, I thought, well, I still felt like I needed a break. So I just randomly went in and Google searched yoga retreat uh, and put in a date and first thing that came up i actually just booked it so that that was just kind of like a random thing i'm like i'd never done anything like that before i can't really say why what really compelled me to do that but it just happened like two weeks later i was sitting on this greek in this greek island private uh island this eco yoga retreat no electricity on the island it's me and one other person and a a kundalini yoga instructor and kundalini yoga is a very specific type of yoga designed to stimulate the systems of the body. So you, you don't just work on like flexibility and muscle strength and, and things like this. You're actually working very much on like stimulating the central nervous system or you know aspects of that, the parasympathetic nervous system or you're working on the lymphatic system, all these sorts of systems in the body, you work on it. And I was absolutely fascinated by the practice because it was so very scientific and, and taught me a lot about the body just in that short week that I did the, the practice. I left the island feeling completely different my body felt different, the way my mind was working felt different. I had more energy, and I was really really quite astounded by how transformative it was in, in a short period of time and and that was enough to just make me uh, I got back to London and I felt so different. I just quit my job I got like a week later I was just sitting there i'm like oh, i'm not going to do it anymore, and I just quit it and I stayed in London because I still had a lease on my flat and my housemates would go to work. I bought myself a yoga mat, rolled it out on the floor when they'd go to work and I'd just sit there and practice what I could remember from what I'd learned on the island. And that was like the natural progression. I just did that for a few months and and then got, the more I did it, the more I wanted to do it, the more positive changes it brought into many aspects of my life. And uh, then I my... Nature's always been quite extreme and obsessive and I just sort of took that nature and kind of like what I kind of used to use as detrimental things in my life like drugs and alcohol and things like that. I kind of channeled that energy into the yoga and I took it to an extreme and started practicing yoga, you know, like four or five hours a day. And when I started doing that, it was quite incredible how rapidly it transformed me. Uh, my body type changed. My whole thought process has changed, and ultimately, that's what really gave me the, like the 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 real strength to go and do the seven continents. and And then after that, it was actually when I'd done the seven continents, like I could tell how um, much of an uh, an an impact that yoga had had to get me to that point. And from there is actually when I really deepened into it, and then I went and studied it. I uh, you know, got certifi- certification to become a Kundalini yoga teacher and you know, that was in uh, 2015 and since then I've you know, gone on now and I'm not, like, now working with people in drug rehabilitation and all sorts of things with, with yoga and, and still deepening my own practice with it and feeling like I still have a lot to learn with it. It's quite fascinating.
1: Yeah, I think it's probably never ending if you think about it. <laughs> oh,
0: for sure. There's there's mm. so many there's so many layers to it, and mm. it's it's really quite remarkable in in how it all works.
1: That's so cool. Obviously, a complete health transformation, and now it's so good that you're able to teach others. Because I think you know yoga, but for for you, maybe initially it was running, but these forms of movement can be a big um, like I guess a a life saving journey for a lot of us to get us onto a, a very different path.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah, beautiful. And,
0: and and something I think that's quite needed in the world at the moment. There's mm-hmm. a a lot of that. A lot of people struggling with with things like that in the world at the moment. I think.
1: Yeah, I think we're living in a you know a very stressful time, and it's all about being busy, and you know being busy is is celebrated and. Um, expectations in careers are very different Um, a lot of people aren't quite on that kind of i guess path to appreciating um that they're in charge of their health and wellness and that food and training and you know movement plays a a really really big part as well as obviously body mind and spirit as as you know absolutely Mm, beautiful um so what are you up to these days i hear you might be writing a book
0: Yeah, I've um, been working on that uh, for about 18 months now. It's been a huge process um, that's uh, been quite cathartic as well, but uh, almost finished now. I'm on my final edit and then uh, hopefully get it out early next year.
1: Very cool. And so, is it on your journey as well as what you're teaching these days? Or
0: yeah, it originally it originally really started out as as kind of like the health journey and my achievements with running because I went on to do some other pretty crazy stuff after the world marathon challenge. And originally, like it was kind of like about that whole journey. But when I started actually teaching um, in the drug rehabilitation space, teaching the yoga and meditation in there, kind of opened my eyes up to to really how big of a problem that is. Uh, not only just in Australia, but globally, like we, there's a really big problem with addiction and, um, you know, mental illness. Mm. There's two very, very big problems in the world at the moment and how they're kind of just treated with uh, medication and people aren't, you know, like that's only just sort of like masks the problem, It doesn't get to treating the root cause of the problem. And once I kind of really saw that firsthand and then related it to my own experiences, um, I really saw an opportunity to, to tell my story in a different way and go really a lot more into the personal aspects of what I dealt with with my own things with mental illness and, and drug addiction and, and things like that. So I really, you know, I still wrote about like my, my journey with my health and my achievements and things like that, but I've really now focused on, you know, what it was like to go through things like that and, and, ha- and what I had to do to overcome them and, and, and a lot about the techniques that I use that I think can help other people um, who, who are going through that, which I think there's a lot of people going through those things at the moment.
1: Yeah, absolutely and it's it's still a conversation that a lot of people are not comfortable having. So I um you know I applaud you for being comfortable sharing that part of your story because I know that you'll inspire other people to either you know speak up or certainly develop different coping mechanisms and address the underlying cause rather than falling just into that medical model which um is often quite insular in nature.
0: Yeah, 100%. 100%.
1: Yeah. So I wanted to um, certainly give you the space to add anything else that you wanted to share with us and also direct us to where we can find more about you.
0: Um, yeah, I mean, I think we've covered a, a fair bit of my story. There's, there's not um, too much more to add unless, you know, people want to maybe keep in touch or, or keep a track of what I'm doing with the book and when it comes out, I, I can be followed through uh, all the usual channels like Facebook and Instagram. Uh, And Twitter and things like that and I've just used the moniker of Kundalini Running which is what the intended title of my book's going to be as well. So if anybody's interested in in keeping up with that then by all means uh, just feel free to join me on that.
1: Beautiful. So we'll pop all those links in the show notes but Doug it was fascinating to speak with you today and You know, it's always so amazing to hear of such transformations and keep doing the amazing work that you're doing to spread this message and help those in need.
0: Thank you very much for your time. You're welcome. Cheers.